Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Virgil Jackson, the CEO and creative of Living Strong Consulting. I am so excited to continue our journey of elevating excellence and leaving a legacy. We are having powerful healing conversations throughout the month of February. But as you know, I I'm <laughs> I've said often for me, Black history is American history, so I don't isolate our excellence to only this month, but it's an opportunity to spotlight it. And Andrea have I have been a fan, a follower, and we have finally yes. connected. Yes. So let me tell you a little bit about this woman. Hailing from the beautiful island of Jamaica, Andrea Lawful Sanders imparts the warmth, strength, and vibrancy of her Caribbean youth roots into every client, student, mentee, and audience that she serves across the country. For nearly three decades, her life's work in education, advocacy, consulting, and communication have reflected the belief that it takes a village to develop both children and adults into the best version of themselves. Her commitment to producing tangible, measurable results that impact society for the better has earned her the title of impact investor. This also led to the creation of A Lawful Truth, a website and public persona that inspires positive change through no holds bar dialogue, transparent storytelling, and plenty of humor. Andrea lives a life fearlessly no matter what is thrown her way with unending rewards to show her bravery. That's the woman. I'm so excited to be able to have a flip side of adversity conversation with. She is here to pass on all the wisdom from her roots while balancing the scales of past lessons and future happiness. When a hell no becomes a solid yes. Welcome to the show, Andrea Lawful Sanders. Thank you. It's oh. a pleasure being here with you. Thank you for having me. You know, it's past my bedtime. <laughs> so you, you she all made, she I, has made a sacrifice. I did. I'm up at three o'clock every morning. Today it was 1 a.m. And, uh, you know, I'm on the air at five every morning. So when you asked, I said, you know, it would make better sense for us to do this in person. So I made the sacrifice, but I, it, it's really more for our audiences to really hear what we're talking about as Black women uh, living in the skins that we're in and doing the work that we do every single day with such fidelity and strength in the face of everything that is thrown our way. Yes, 
It is that unapologetic opportunity to live on full, but it does come at a cost. It does. And the beauty of our preparation for this conversation is really being able to have an authentic, transparent conversation around tapping into your voice, understanding the power of it. But I'm curious, can you share a pivotal moment when you actually first discovered that your voice had power? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was three. <laughs> now, y'all, she, speaks to, nations. <laughs> she speaks to nations. That was not the answer I was anticipating. I was three. My mother, uh, you know, when we were, we were, you know, I was born and raised in Jamaica and uh, my mother left us with a nanny. And, I, you know, I would speak up if I thought the nanny. We've, I've had more nannies fired than the law should allow because I was like, you don't get to talk to my sister that way. My mother's like, you're, four, you're three, you're two. Can you just mm -hmm. behave? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but wrong is wrong and right is right. So she knew at an early age that I would be there. What really stood out for me, and my mother tells this story all the time, well, she's now died. She's passed away last April, um, is that I was three. It was a Friday evening. And the man that sold ice cream, you know, he would ride his little mm -hmm. ice cream thing on the bicycle, came to the door, knocked and said, you owe me some money. And she says, well, I didn't order anything for you. What do you mean I owe you some money? He said, yes. Uh, your daughter told me that if I gave them ice cream several times a week that you would pay on Friday. And she said, let me guess. <laughs> she called me outside and I just stood there and looked at her and she said she was so proud of me that I knew at that young age to use my voice to make sure that my sisters and I were okay. Now she paid him and she says, you only get to do this two times a week. That's that's one of the ways that she recognized that I was going to use my voice no matter what. Um, but growing up in Jamaica, you know, we were told, you, 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 you're too plentiful too plentiful and dear, you know? And so they kept trying to manage my voice. And it was, I was 42 when they finally called me and told me to come see them and said, we apologize because we thought at this age you would have outgrown all of this. I never outgrew it, right? So um, I found my voice at a really early age and it came at a cost, but you know, it is what it is. But now people around the <clears throat> world tune in to hear that voice. And I think about the young children who have a gift that the adults around them don't quite know what to do with it. Yeah. And when that squashing happens, we compromise parts of ourselves yeah. that sometimes we forget about. It kills our spirit, right? Mm -hmm. If we allow it to. And one of the things that my parents said to me when I finally flew to see them because I had gotten into an F-16 and broke the sound barrier and then called them and told them that I had done such a thing. And they were like, what the, what? My father said, you have more nerves than false teeth. <laughs> Come see us. And so what my parents were grateful for, and they said it, was that they're grateful that I didn't lose my fervor for doing what they didn't want me to do. Yes. They were so afraid that I would be, I would get harmed or something would happen to me. Even as my mother died, my father pulled me aside of the hospital and said, our biggest worry is that you are a voice for so many people and that it may cost you something, possibly your life. That's my, that's been my father's biggest worry. And I looked at him in the hospital and I said, I'd rather die standing than living on my knees. He was like, well, all right then. 
And we'll yes. just keep praying. I'll just keep lifting my hands and praying for you. Yes. But yeah, it's 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 been a journey. Um, and I just for some reason knew I was nine when I told them, I think I'm going to change the world. My father was reading his newspaper, he looked up at the newspaper, looked at me and looked back down. <laughs> like, what is this child talking about? Um, but they 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 thanked me for never allowing everything that they tried to do to kill my spirit. But I knew that if I allowed what they were saying to me to seep into my head, and if I was following what everybody wanted me to do, I would not be the Andrea that I am today. Yes. So I made a lot of choices that people were like, why would you even do that? You're making this amount of money or, you know, you're living this wonderful life. Why would you walk away? It was killing my spirit. And I am unapologetic about not letting my spirit die for love or money. But I hear how you would not allow someone else's fear Mm-mm. to cage you in so you naturally would be able to, when it's time to recognize that some something mm. was making you either not live on full, mm-hmm. feel shortchanged, you, were, you didn't allow somebody else's fear to cage you in. So you're not going to allow something that creates fear to do the same. Absolutely. It is beautiful. And what I realized on this side of my life is that it's so unusual. Yes. That so many of us compromise ourselves Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. seen and liked and to get along and to fall in line. I am just, I was just not built that way. And I'm grateful that my parents were able to recognize it at some point. They still pray. My father still prays like hell for me. Like he prays, you know, um, twice a day with my name all over. (laughs) It was like, you're just, what is happening with you? Why are you just not fearing anything? And he says, I, I said to him, I said, because I know God has me. You know, um, my sisters laugh and say that I was given the highest angel, Michael, and that when I turned 50, Michael said, somebody else take this. Michael was a drunk at that point because he had got, he was too tired of trying to follow me and make sure that I was going to stay alive in these Wakandan streets. But, you know, so they gave me two other angels. My sisters laugh and talk about this all the time, but it is so freeing to just be yourself in a way that I refuse to give it to anyone. So if something sits in my craw, I am not offensive in the way I speak to people. I, I, you know, I break it down. Uh, this is what you did. This is what I saw. This is how it made me feel. And as a direct result, these, that's, this could be the result that comes from it. And I am so organized in my discussions with people. They're usually quite taken aback that I literally check them without mm-hmm. making them feel like they've lost their their space and center, right? Yes. Um, and, and in the Black community, specifically in the United States of America, we have so lost our center because we've been conditioned to feel like we have to go along to get along versus really sitting in our souls. And it shows up in the things that we say and do. Facebook mm-hmm. is a great tool for therapists. I'm telling they're like, well, who? You're, You're going to need some <laughs> That one right there, that one's going to need some help. But when I hear you make that statement of how clear, how calm, how articulate you can be when you are making it clear that someone has offended you, someone has done something that is not fair, not Mm -hmm. appropriate, and it makes me connect with, if I am clear on who I am, and how I vowed. I don't have to fight Absolutely. you. I don't have Absolutely. to make you believe me. Absolutely. I speak from a place of confidence, of clarity, because my value is not tied to whether or not you believe me. Hey, shut up. 
that is it exactly. And it's not predicated on whether I live or die. Yes. Right. And we, we, what I would love to see us do is find our spaces mm. of truth and value. It's going to be very hard. So let me be clear with the audience that's listening. I've been at this my entire life. I find myself shifting and growing every few years. So if you find yourself, if you are 40, 50, 30, and you're the same person that you were when you're five, six, seven, there not only have you not take, done any growth, there's stagnation happening there. And everything you touch, you're, but why is this not working for me? Why can't I get the job that I want? Why can't I find a man? I walk into a situation and go, this was designed for me. I will do it to the best of my ability. I will get what I want, what I ask for. And oh, they have fought me. Oh, you can't. Yes. Well, then I'm not the person for you. So be willing to walk away. Yes. Right? Yes. Don't be so anxious to get into those spaces so you can, God knows what. I'm like, this is my value. If you can't see it, then that's fine. No harm, no foul. I'll move on to something else that sees the value and I'm okay. And that frightens a lot of people, mm. right? Yeah. Um, I have had public officials call me and say, Andrea, I heard you didn't like me. I was like, yeah, you're right. And this, But this is why I didn't like you. And if you tell me what is it that I am missing, I'm willing to have the conversation with you. Frightens them. It stuns them because they're accustomed to people saying things and being mean. I'm not mean. I'm not obnoxious in the way that I talk to people. I give people their space to just be and to grow. And what I have consistently said was, if you allow people to see the authentic you, then you never have to fight and worry about what people think. Right? They're not always going to like you. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. You just have to be okay with that. But I think in our culture, the desire to chase likes, to have uh, something go viral. The that, cancel culture. Right. Yeah. Like that fear of, mm -hmm. but what if they don't like me? Do I have to continue to conform when actually it might be that they shouldn't like you so that the the thing that is yours actually has room absolutely to show up absolutely so i you have continued to talk about and you referenced it a couple of times that this has been at a cost ah yeah can you provide someone who actually has the when they were 3 they were told to be quiet when they were nine, they had a dream and someone said it was foolish. And now they're in their 40s and they they can't own their idea because they have been marginalized, closed down. What are some concrete strategies or tools you could provide someone who is listening, who's saying, but I try, I just can't. Yeah. Hard to find yourself when you go from three to nine to teenager to young 20s to 40, and you've allowed yourself to be conditioned into a certain space. So I will tell you what I have done over the years, and it works like hell for me, right? Um, I write. Mm -hmm. I write what is on my mind. I write out the things that I would like to see happen. I, you know, I don't even say would like to see. I write and I say, I am. Right. I've been doing this for years and years. So I have a lot of vision boards in my house. Listen, I vision board my husband into existence. I vision board the radio show and the television show into existence. But you have to, when you write it, you have to believe, right? And it will not show up the way you think it will show up. It won't just, somebody won't just pop up and say, oh my God, I just think you're so wonderful. You have to do the work and you have to stay in a really authentic way. So I write a lot. I hold myself accountable. So when something doesn't work, I go, all right, so this is what happened. Mm -hmm. This was my response to it. 
what role did what part did I play in that? That's the part Owning we don't it. get to, right? Owning That's it. the part we don't ever get to. We always, well, they did this to me, right. and it's I'm not, not gonna... everybody else's fault, right? And if you <laughs> find yourself constantly, because the the lessons will continue to come until you learn them, mm-hmm. and when you learn them, it's a new lesson. Right. And so if you don't find the space to own your role in what happened to you, all right, I you know, I dated this man, he told me he loved me, he cheated on me, but what role did what what things did we dismiss? Because we thought, Mm -hmm. right, if we were going to be different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were gonna be the one to heal somebody else, but we haven't invested in the healing process that's right. And we want people to heal us. We want Mm -hmm. people to create our joy when the fact of the matter is the joy has to come from within. So that means sitting down. I've done a lot of writing. I've done a lot of laying on my floor and crying. Let's just be real about this. It's not all sugar plums and and, and dandelions. I've laid on my floor and cried and go, oh, I can't do this. But when I finish crying, I get up off the floor and say, all right, girl, come on. Let's figure out how we're going to make this work. We have to be our own best cheerleader, right? Mm-hmm. And when we own our role and the responsibilities in what we do, then we will make different choices moving forward. Hard for people to do. So I write a lot. I write a lot and 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 ask myself questions a lot. And I had, up until very recently, vision sheets all over my living room. People were coming mm-hmm. in the door going, what is happening up in here? Don't worry about that. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, and, I, and I do a lot of self-development, mm-hmm. right? So if there are uh, courses that I that interest me about leadership, about, you know, finding your path, I don't always just believe in my own press clippings. I go and I talk to other people who can work with me to see that I am, whether I'm on the right path or not. We have to always change the oil in our engines every once in a while. We just can't keep rotating on the same dirty oil from birth to 40 to 50 to 60. Have you ever so- suffered from imposter syndrome? Quite a bit, actually. Really? (laughs) Again, not the answer I anticipated. Yeah. My friend from high school, Margaret, says to me, you don't see yourself outside of yourself. One of the things that I adopted from my parents that I thought was so good was to always remain in a place of humility. So after traveling the country and doing all these things, I would I would would say, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. And that's when the people around me go, okay, but you raised two amazing sons. You've changed all these lives over here. You've written this, you've done that. But once the thing happened in the Jamaican culture, we don't harp on those things. So once it happens, we just let it go and move on to the next thing. So I've never really taken the time to breathe and say, oh, I did X, Y, and Z. In fact, I don't look. When I send an, uh, 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 a bio, yes. it has to be engaging and interesting. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't care how many boards I sat on, how many degrees. I don't care about that stuff. That is not who we are. And when you ask someone, who are you? They say, I'm a mother. That's not who you are. Who yes. are you? I have this degree. That's not who you are. Who are you? I am the CEO. That's not who you are. You're, who you are are your core values. Your core values dictate how you navigate through this world. And if you don't take the time figuring out what your core values are, good or bad, then you're always going to be answering that question like it's a thing. It's a I've got a five bedroom house and I've got the 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 the, the six figure salary. That's not who you are. And so who I am is compassionate, empathetic, and a leader among leaders. And I knew that when I was about nine. Nobody believed me, but if they, I, it didn't matter if anyone believed me. I had to believe it myself. So I went through a lot. Divorce. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, two small children, uh, raising them by myself, you know, figuring out life, um, questioning myself about the things that I said and did. And after one bad relationship, 
too many. I then began writing out what I was looking for and what my role was in it. And I recognized that I was picking up broken wing birds, men who didn't like their mamas because, you know, I was going to fix you and take care wow. of you and make sure. And once I got over that part of it, then my husband, my current husband shows up who is loving and kind and generous and everything that I wanted. But here's the trick. He didn't show up in the package. <laughs> eh, caramo. <laughs> So I was yes. like, ooh, he didn't, he's shorter than me. He's a nerd. He's got a pocket protector. He would cut his hair once a month. You know, he would wear the crushed shirts kind of thing. But I loved him. Okay. I loved everything about him. And I didn't care. And God said, ooh, you passed this test. So you're yes. going to have a great marriage. Well, it sounds like you, your core values showed up in the yeah. human being that yeah. had been specifically picked for, for you. you. And how many times do we miss the ones that are picked for us in search of what we want? Yes. See, God doesn't doesn't give us what we, he gives us what we need. Mm -hmm. We then circumvent God and go pick what we want. And then we go out on the floor and cry and tell God, oh my God, can you, if you could just fix it and see your way clear, I'll never find myself in this position again. And then we find ourselves in the position again. Because yes. again, we're not hearing, you know, God directs us in the where we're supposed to go we ignore it so much to our detriment and every time we ignore it that path is diverted but it's going to bring you back to center how much time have we wasted on diverted pathways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the process of actually writing it down getting clear on what part mm -hmm. I may have played in what happened mm -hmm. not that what happened was my fault but what part mm -hmm. And where do I need to heal? Yeah. What are my core values? Yep. And getting really clear on I'm going to continue to evolve. And when you ignore the core values, it's just, a, it's, it's mm. so much hell. I wonder how many people who are listening actually have written down. But their core values. Their are. core values. So many people don't know. Can you, I'm, I'm actually even thinking how would you define a core value? A core value is something that is instinctively in you. So you could be someone that is, a core value is being unkind. Mm -hmm. It's a core value, yeah. right? Yeah. A core value is not being able to listen to anyone but yourself. Those are the things you have to sit down and, and then ask people, what do you see in me? Ask people around you because, you know, you can say all you want about yourself. Remember me telling you about getting the group of people together for the hotel over the weekend? And I said, what do you see when you look at me? What um, what do I need to do to move into the next realm of things that I want to do? And they told me, they were like, you are no nonsense as hell. Mm -hmm. And I knew that about myself. Like, I'm really no nonsense and unapologetic, but I am not unkind. And they said that. Yes. You're not unkind. You're really kind to people, but you're very straightforward in what you have to say to them. So they have to ask the people around them. What are the things that you see about me? And they'll start to tell you. I actually did that survey on Facebook as, along with doing it with my, and they- Oh, all, that's a brave thing. Oh, I did. Oh my goodness. I did. 150,000 comments yes. later, but they all came back with the same thing. You are no nonsense. You are kind. You are empathetic. All the things that I saw in myself, but I wanted to see if people saw that, right? Mm -hmm. um, not to be played with when it comes to children. Like I am a fierce protector of children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those kinds of things. So you have to ask people around you, people that you trust. And don't get offended if they say something that you, you know, don't I was hear. Wait, I was waiting for that part. I was waiting because people often will shut that conversation down because someone says something that is true, but you don't want to hear it mm -hmm. or you 
aren't ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you're not going to heal from it. Absolutely. And so years will go by and you'll say, but oh, that one over there is growing and moving and shaking and doing things that I'm still stuck here in my two bedroom apartment. Can't find love because whatever it is that I needed to work on, it was everybody else's fault except my own. And we have to own our stuff. Mm -hmm. And until you own your stuff, you're always going to find yourself having those same conversations over and again. When I think about being clear on who you are and even having the hard conversation in clarity, and I often tell my coaches in when you're ready to have the hard conversation, you know you're ready because the emotionalism doesn't override what needs to be said. You picked the title, When a Hell No becomes a solid yes. Mm -hmm. And for me, that screams, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say what needs to be said, Mm -hmm. even if it's saying to myself, Mm -hmm. but also to those who are trying to keep me quiet. Why did you pick that title? When I talked to you before we did this interview, I was sitting in a hospital room in the ICCU with my husband who had gone through surgery and was literally expiring in front of my face. And I kept saying to the doctors, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. You're just, you're not looking at the whole person. You're only seeing his prostate because he, he went public and saying that he had prostate cancer and he was going in for the surgery. And they just kept brushing me off. And my in-laws were in the room with a handkerchief, putting it over his face and praying over him. And I said to them, shh, shh, shh. I'm like, what mm-hmm. you doing? I said, stop talking to me. I'm writing the CEO of the hospital. They were like, you doing what? Yes. And by the time that email hit his desk that Sunday afternoon, at six o'clock that evening, the nurse manager showed up. She was like, what can we do for you? And I'm like, oh, so all right. But I had no idea that it had uh, snowballed into such a thing that I did not go to, did, did, not, did not do my radio show that next morning, January 7th. And I sat in that hospital room because the doctors were doing their rotation at six o'clock in the morning, where I, by the time I got there at eight o'clock, they were all gone. I sat in that hospital room and waited for them to show up. And let me tell you, if I saw 40 doctors that day, I saw 105. Do you hear me? Yes. They all began doing what they needed to do. Because what I heard on Sunday was, hell no, we're not showing up to do what needs to be done because we see this all the time to a hell yes, let's figure out how we can do this to help you. And this has been my entire life. I don't, Mm -hmm. the emotional intelligence, and let me tell you, that came at a cost. The emotional intelligence is one where I had to put aside all the emotion and write the facts as I knew them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was no cursing. There was no, Mm -hmm. none of that. Mm -hmm. It was, this was when he was scheduled for surgery. These are the things you needed to know. These are the things that are not happening. And I need somebody to get back to me and tell me why this, this, and this is not happening. Yes. And it created a fear of people, but there were people, black people showing up in my husband's room looking for me. And I was like, do I know you? They were like, no, but we wanted to see the person who turned the hospital upside down (laughs) with one letter. The clarity. The clarity. And... It's not that it wasn't important to you. It's not that there weren't emotions. But when you recognize how important Mm -hmm. a moment is Mm -hmm. and how you have to show up in that moment, because you won't necessarily get that moment back. Again, but here's where Mm -hmm. where it came into play where I 
once I once my husband was given what he needed, mm-hmm. I mean, they moved him from one floor down into the ICCU. People were hopping and skipping. Nobody would make a move without talking to me. I was seeing all the things that I was asking for, all that was happening. Once I became clear, about four days later, I was down in the cafeteria getting a salad and my entire body just collapsed on me. Because I was holding that energy, holding myself. We're told as people, you know, when you walk into the hospital or to the doctor's office, you have to be very mindful about what you say and how you say. You know, you have to not make them afraid of you. All those other things. I never raised my voice, but my eyeballs were enough for them to say, <laughs> yeah, this lady right here, right? And so I was holding my breath in such a way. I felt so exhausted. When my husband came home that Saturday, I was afraid for him to come home because I was like, all these people were working on him. We had to do all these different things to bring him back to health. And I was afraid, how was I going to do this, right? My sisters were flying in and coming in to help me, et cetera, et cetera. My husband said to me today, I came home Saturday. Sunday, you were running around doing all the stuff. You were taking out the trash. You were doing the laundry. You were helping me to bathe all those things. And he said, I was walking by him with tears just streaming. I was losing my cotton picking mind and didn't realize it in the moment because in my head it was, you've got to just suck it up, Andrea, suck it up. Fortunately for me, I married someone who said, I see you the same way you see me. And if you end up in the hospital, I can't come to see you. So I need you to take care of yourself, my wife right? People judge that. Oh my God, your husband was sick and you did it. And I was like, you have to have the kind of relationship. Yes. You have to build that relationship to know when it's time to do X, Y, and Z, which then goes back into Dr. Theodore, not to allow people to dictate what happens in your marriage and in your life. Because what's happening in my marriage is different from yours, from that one. And we get on Facebook and we just, oh my God, we have an opinion about everything (laughs) and we don't focus on what's going on in our own house. Yes. Right. So my husband was able to say, my wife, I love you. You saved my life. Now I'm going to save yours. I need you to take a moment. Oh, child, there's people calling me. How dare you? Excuse me. It's that opportunity. Again, it's just a consistent pattern from three years old. Yep. You will see me because I know me. Yes. I know how valuable I am. Yep. And we talked about this off camera, the whole package of work that I'm really trying to launch around refill is holding, especially caregivers, mm-hmm. educators, those who are serving others, that if you do not pay attention to the depleted places that in your part. soul, that you part. will eventually do more Crash damage and burn. than good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how many caregivers, you know, drop dead, leaving the person that was sick? Let's talk about it, right? But in our communities, we're told you can't take care. How dare you? You got to keep taking care of the sick. And my husband looked and said, "Mm -mm, I need you to take care of you so that we can be okay. Um, But again, that comes back to who we choose and why we choose them. Yeah. Right? If we're choosing them because they're cute (laughs) and they drive a nice car and we ignore all of their core values, you know, yes. they have a reputation for being a cheater. They have a reputation oh. for being all these things. We're like, but I'm going to be different. Right. When my husband and I began dating, I had no interest in getting married. I said, listen, I don't bought that t-shirt, but I just want to be, you know, in a relationship with you. And he said he knew after our first conversation, but he would try and figure out how to. And he knew me for five years before he asked me out. That's how seriously he took that I was not going to just 
you know, be that woman. He said, I just, there was something so special about you. So women, it's not about the hair. It's not about the makeup. It's not about any of those things. It's your core values. And the men will say, it's that intangible thing that we can't put our finger on. And you're going, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, just be your intangible self. Yes. Right? That, that's the thing that they're looking for. Um, men are really, our, our brothers are, are, are men really want to be seen, right? Um, and to be heard. And when when they create that space for us, when we create the space for them to be seen and heard, then they create these wings over us to protect us and make sure we're always okay. So folks are coming, why your husband? Because I love my husband yes. and I follow his lead. As much as I'm leading, I've been leading departments and having conversations around the country. I've been in rooms that y'all will never know I've been in, right? Mm -hmm. But when I am home, it's, you know, my husband said, I had never seen you. He said, I hear you on the phone. You come over and said, babe, can you bring my suitcase up for me, please? Because, you know, my he said, you can lift a 400-pound bar. I said, yeah, but, you know, it makes me... And so he feels needed. The other thing he says is, you know, we have to know each other's love languages. I tell him, thank you all the time. Even if I just say, can you take something out of the refrigerator for me? Thank you, babe. Mm -hmm. Consistently. And he said, so feeling valued... There was nothing that he wouldn't do for me. Yes. So again, when we're choosing in work and in life, what parts of our core values are showing up or not? What parts of the representative are we giving our people at work or in our, our, our relationships that makes them think you're something that you're not because you were trying to please people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When there's an opportunity for you to live out your core values and you show up in a, in a space after you've investigated them, after you've written them down and they begin to show up in people. And, and I would even lean into not only human beings, but opportunities, the right opportunity that aligns with your core values so that you can begin to create or walk in the roles, the positions. As long as you are confused, the things that keep coming to you are going to be chaos and confusion. Absolutely. So I shared a story on my radio show yesterday morning about Susan L. Taylor from Essence Magazine, uh, having one of her handlers call me. Mm -hmm. I was up in Capitol Hill and she sent a message that she wanted to talk to me. And I answered and looked at the message and I was like, the woman says, hi, my name is Deborah, And you know, I'm, I'm Susan L. Taylor's personal assistant and she wants to talk to you. And I looked at the phone. I called the woman and said, no, I think you called the wrong. Oh, you got the wrong number. You got the wrong number. I, said, I think you called the wrong person. And she says, no, Andrea, Susan Googled you. She was trying to find somebody who really cared about children in Philadelphia. And she was getting frustrated because everybody wanted to come and work because she was Susan L. Taylor, but no work was getting done. And she did the Google and she said, I just, can you come to New York to my penthouse? Mm -hmm. And I got there and she was on the phone, you know, just talking and Andrea darling. And we began having a conversation and she said, now, listen, this is what I'd like you to do. I said, ma'am, I do this all day, every day. So, you know, it's not a problem, but answering that opportunity just from doing the work, putting my head down. I didn't go call Susan L. Taylor. I didn't put anything on a newspaper or in Facebook or social media for likes. I was just doing my work. That open door, that opportunity led me to Harry Belafonte, Iana Van Zandt, mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey, all these people that I had such close access to because I said yes, because I was doing the work, because I was working for my core values. But right? you were doing the work first. Yes. Yes. As opposed to pursuing the likes yeah. and hoping yeah. the opportunity mm -hmm. 
will produce the work. <clears throat> you did the work in silence. Yes. In sometimes solitude. Yes. And sometimes in secret. Yes. Which seems so counterculture. Because when you when so many people are living outside of their core values mm-hmm. and they're following folks to get a, to go along to get along, they don't want to see you succeed. And so it's not hiding from them. It's keeping the thing quiet until you know that it's something that will make a difference in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference. Um, and I've had some honest conversations with Susan L. Taylor about this organization. She's like, you. Uh, yes, ma'am. I just need you to know, <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to say this doesn't feel right. And this is why yes. can we move in this direction? And this is why. But people are so afraid. They're like, oh, my God, it's this icon. I can't say anything. Everything you do in love comes right back to you. Right. So I would show up to meetings and the the other leaders from around the country would come and they would sit and watch people. I would jump in and help to fix the tables. I would help to, you know, check people. And she she would walk up to me and say, you're so different. Yeah. Right. Because the work, the work, the work, the work. And if we don't take care of our children and fix ourselves because our children are not doing what we say, they're doing what we do. Our children today are a, a direct reflection of a lot of things that we did and didn't do. Don't beat yourself up. Just course. Yes, course correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. The practice of doing the work in secret and solitude created a level of humility that showed up when it was time. Right, right. And that humility was honored. Mm -hmm. And when you are called into the room, that is not the time to be quiet. They asked yes. you to come for a reason. reason. And when you walk into the room, don't be a, a fan geek. Oh my God, oh my God, this is such a, oh my God. I was always so quiet. I remember Harry Belafonte calling me over and I was like, and he says, there's something different about you. He said, you, while everybody else was trying to take a picture, you were just sitting there intently. I turned off my phone. I was taking notes, learned that his mother was from Jamaica, all of those things, right? But it makes a difference. We have to stop looking for, let me take a picture with this one and take a picture with that one and be thoughtful in the way those people who have made their spaces and have become national icons are there for a reason. And we have to honor that by giving them their space to do what they need to do and be graceful around them. Not, oh my God, I got a picture with this one. And, oh my God, I got mm-hmm. a picture with that one. Doesn't work. It doesn't yes. work. And they pay attention to that and then it, it turns them off, right? Because yes. we're human beings. Mm-hmm. So another reason why I stay so close to the vest and walk in humility is nobody should, and I'm going to say this, some of you are going to look at me like I'm crazy, nobody should chase fame and success. Mm. It puts you in a fishbowl. And it Not will, right it, it, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Because and you asked me when I asked you a question, the very first question back to me, anytime you ask somebody a question (laughs) and they answer with a question, Mm -hmm. your first response was, are you ready for it? Yes. And I don't know that even in mentor relationships, Mm -hmm. I feel like as our younger generation Mm -hmm. is coming up and because of what has shaped their generation Mm -hmm. to encounter a mentor that is clear, yes, this is possible, Mm -hmm. but are you ready for it? Yeah, yeah. 
Are you ready for the cost? Yeah. Yeah, I've lost uh, uh, some mentees that way because they were always late, mm-hmm. didn't want to hear what I saw. And I said, that's fine. I may not be the mentor for you, but the ones that stayed around, oh, yes. if I was going through a door, I'm taking five of them with me. I yes. never, when an opportunity came my way, especially at the national level, I would call them and say, listen, I got to go to California. How many of you want to come with Mofo, really? Yep, come. I want you to experience and to learn because if I don't lift as I climb, then what the hell am I doing? Right. It's, it's you show up in a space and say, oh, guess where I was today? Guess who I was? And I watch people who do that. Oh, such and such and such was here. Well, why didn't you call me? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. It's, 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 I just wanted to, to, to shine or I didn't think about it. But if you and I have been working together and doing the work, so I always create spaces for others mm-hmm. to grow mm-hmm. and to thrive and to shine. And my mentees, I may not hear from them for months at a time, but when they come, you know, mother, I'm coming to lay on your chair and I'm, I need some Jamaican soup. And so they'll come and they'll sit and they'll talk because they, they know I'm going to give it to them straight in love. They take it and they move on and they create. They're doing so well. Right. But in my being a mentor, I also have mentors myself who holds my black behind accountable. Mm -hmm. Don't Mm -hmm. always feel good. Mm-hmm. It does not always feel good. And I, one of my mentors, I said to her all the time, I don't like you. I don't like you because you're telling me about myself. Uh-huh. I don't like you, sis. And she said, you don't have to like me, but this is what I see. And so I need you to get up, dust your feet off and get the work done. Mm-hmm. I want us to find that space within ourselves again. I want mm-hmm. us to remember just how brilliant we are and that we don't always have to grovel on our knees to get a yes when the yes is standing right way. If we just stand up and work as a group, work as a team, believe in ourselves and believe in the value of what we do, that yes will come whether the people said no or not. Yes. It might not come from those people, but that yes is coming from somewhere else. What's for you is for you. Absolutely. I Absolutely. think about... So I have, it's very interesting that you said that because I have this question in front of me in that when I've always been taught that if you are in the front of the room all the time, you are in the wrong room. So you're about to make me speak in tongues up in here. (laughs) And when folks come on the show and I interview them, I say, so what's the legacy? Who's coming behind you? Who are you mentoring? And I keep getting that (laughs) because what's happening is they don't want to mentor anybody else because they're afraid that that person may take over their spot. But sis, if you're doing the work, bro, if you're doing the work, you don't have to worry about that. You will, all of that stuff will work itself out. But we're so intent on, I need to make sure that I am the head person in charge. I need to make sure that I am on all the boards. You name the thing here and they become old, older Mm -hmm. and say, oh, oh, I don't, I'm not leaving anything behind, which is why so many of our programs fall apart. Yes. They're good and they're great. And then they, you walk away from it because, you know, you have founder syndrome or, you know, I need to be the one that's always in charge and it falls completely apart. And so we're always as a people reinventing the wheel when we don't have to. Yes. But that comes from healing. If you're not healed, you're always going to be clutching to that thing. Like, this is all about me. I can't share this. Mm -hmm. Operating from a scarcity mindset and not really walking in a space of understanding that when you've done the work, you don't when have to you, do anything else. Right. But when you've done the work externally and internally, what is for you is for you. And when or if 
somebody steps in that spot because you've been doing the work, you're already ready for the and next. Moved on to, not, only, not only already ready, you've already moved on to the yes. next. Every, I started an organization in Abington uh, in 2005. I walked away. They were like, well, why? I said, listen, y'all go ahead and handle. If it falls off, this it's going good. to be on you. You mm-hmm. need to grow your leadership skills and do what you're supposed to do. And I'm sitting and watching who's going to take the mantle to do what needs to be done. Because it can't just all fall on me. Right. Because then if something happens to me, then what? Then what? And so we have to stay in that space of who am I lifting as I climb? It sounds cliche as hell, but it is absolutely true. And in our communities, because there are so few opportunities, instead of thinking, let me take this opportunity and create a space for other people to come behind me. Let me take this opportunity and give someone else the space to grow and to thrive. Yeah. Because when you do that, your name will be called in rooms that you're not in. Yes. Because people trust your motives for what you're doing. Absolutely. Your motives. Absolutely. What is, why are you pursuing that thing? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to be in front of that camera? Why do you want to be able to interview that person? Can I share something with you? Of course. So. I reached out to Catherine Hicks from the Philadelphia Sunday Sun. I always, I've been doing these red carpet reviews on social media, cracking people up. I reached out to her and I said, I really want to do the NAACP Image Awards. Just give me a shot. Had I ever done it before? No. Did I know what the hell I was doing? No. She said, okay, I'll give you a shot. I said, I will buy my own plane ticket. I will pay for my own stuff. I will get there. You just reimburse me if I do the work. And then I call all my journalism friends and I say, what do I need to have to make this work? They all call me back and said, you're going to need this. You're going to need that. You're going to need that. I went out there and killed the game. Damn. Killed the game. And then when I got finished, oh, people started, oh, she's not a journalist. Why she get the opportunity? She got almost shunned. <laughs> I ignored that devil yeah. because I recognized it for what it was. You could have been out there doing the work. I wasn't out there just taking pictures and talking to people. I was literally asking thoughtful questions. And so now whenever the NAACP image was, I'm like, is she coming? Yes. Is she and her team coming? Yes. Right? Everybody else showed up in black. I'm, I made sure we were ready. We had all our equipment. We were working 12 to 13 hour days and mm-hmm. pumping out the kinds of quality material that I think Catherine said, uh, one of these national uh, uh, folks said, well, we got these girls. Yes. What are they doing? So yes. you don't have to be the expert on the thing. You just have to have the vision and the passion and be able to work. You can't say, I'm going to get up at seven o'clock at night to show up to the event at nine p.m. You can't do that. We were prepping weeks before. When we landed in California, we sat at a a big table. I rented a suite and I said, all right, who's taking on the notes for the people that are coming down the red carpet? Who's going to do the camera equipment? Who's going to do da 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 And what what I ended up doing is one of the people that came with me, I bought a ticket for her to go into the NAACP Image Awards and she was covering from there. Yes. See what I'm talking about? Like you have to think outside of yourself. So people would be like, that's too much money. I don't feel like going up to talk to the stars. I don't, like, do you want how do you badly want do you want it? Right there. Do you want it? Do you want it? Again, a key example. When your core values are clear, your heart, your motivation mm-hmm. is clear. You draw people into Ooh, you that absolutely. you can trust. Absolutely. That you can build a team with. Yep. That actually are like you. Because yep. when you keep attracting people who sabotage you, it's not about Under them, my, it's about you. Right, you got to look in the mirror. You gotta, 
It's not about them. It's about you. If everybody around you is trying to rip you apart, then you have to take a look and say, what, 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 what am I is at? it? Right. What, uh, what part of brokenness have I not actually invested in the yep. healing for? Yep. Because I'm continuing to repeat a cycle that is dangerous. And yes. somehow I've got to pause and stop looking to the left and the, the right, right. Mm-hmm. and getting distracted and say, huh, I need to look in the mirror. And then you get bitter. Mm. You get bitter because things are not going the way you think they should. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. even challenged pastors mm-hmm. like Jesus, <laughs> like you are. And, and love, you know, yeah. I, sir, ma'am, this is what I see. You know, people are watching. So they call me a soothsayer, you know, like I'm like a seer. They think I'm a seer. But quite frankly, we all have that gift. Right. If we if we stay true to ourselves and connected to the core of who we are, we can see things when they're not right the minute they're not right. Right. But we tell ourselves, well, you know, it'll be different for me. It'll be okay on my end. It'll be, you know, I can't. And that's when we start to believe our own press clippings. And then we find ourselves in trouble because we don't hear God's voice or listen to it at all. It is always there. We just have to find that quiet, still place within and say, okay, God, what would you have me do? What am I doing? The, the first of all, that quiet, still place, and then secondly, when we stop worrying about what someone else is saying oh, about us, yeah, but get clear on what God has said about us mm-hmm. and who He has called us to be. Stop worrying. When you said and they said, "Who is she? Why is she here? She doesn't belong here." That very conversation would have shut some people down. Absolutely. I just took to social media and said, let me tell you why I'm here. (laughs) I did. I was like, this is what happened. And when they realized the amount of money that I spent Mm -hmm. to, to, to show up in with 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 dignity and pride and to do something in a polished way mm-hmm. requires for you to invest in yourself and stop waiting for other people to invest in you. If you don't first invest in yourself, what do you want people to do with you? Mm-mm. Right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So it is absolutely important that we have to get there. We worry too much about being seen and heard and seen and heard and constantly posting about how good we are and what we do. If you do the work and do it with fidelity and honesty, the work will come to you. The work will come to you. Can I ask you what, and this is loaded, and I'm going to say we have how many minutes, Keith? Ooh, <laughs> like, five, uh, six, five minutes. Four. We have four, we have mi- four minutes. We have four minutes. What would you say to people who are listening with the four minutes we have of a challenge to heal? Look in the mirror, see yourself, do your work, find out what role do you play in the things that are happening to you and around you. Everything that comes your way is a lesson. Are we seeing the lesson or we're willing to gripe? So you have to challenge yourself. So get a pad of, a pad of paper and start writing. These are the things that are happening to me um, you know, consistently. What role do I play in this? What excuses am I making to myself about how, how much of a victim I am? Because we're not always victims. We, all, we, we, we really work in tangent with 
what we think and feel without really, this is why I say our core values matter. Because if you don't yeah. know your core values then you're all over the place, trying to be seen, trying to be heard, you do the work you will get a Susan Taylor to call you. You yeah. do the work, a Harry Belafonte will pull you. You do the work, a child will walk up to you at the African-American book fair and say, you saved me when I was 16 at, a, at an event and I never forgot you and I follow you on social media. And what you say, who you say you are on social media should be exactly who you show up in, in real person. That part, that part, no longer the cloak and dagger, no longer the clouds, Right. The charade. Yeah. Be who you present yourself to, to be. be in the quiet as well as the crowd. Yep. yep. Be consistently yep. that same person. So I know you have lit folk on fire. <laughs> I told you I was coming. So I want people to know how can they follow you? So if they're by chance, <sighs> Someone in the 75 countries that log into this show, if by chance someone doesn't already know who you are. Um, on Facebook, I am Andrea Lawful Sanders. Lawful is my maiden name, L-A-W-F-U-L, uh, S-A-N-D-E-R-S. So that's my Facebook profile. On Instagram, I am Island Diva, I-S-L-D-D-V-A. That's who I am. And you can go through, because, you know, I'll get on the camera in a minute and go, listen, yes. y'all, I'm just going to need you to have right out in these streets. Today it was around, don't tell me what I can't do. Don't ask all these things of me when you won't even first pick up the phone and Google what you're looking for. I can't. I am not your savior. I'm not even pretending to be your savior. I can't fix everything. I need you to work on doing some things for yourself. A lot of people don't do that. They're so happy to be asked and so happy to be seen. They work themselves into the dirt trying yes. to please everybody. I'm not that sister. I'm just not. Love still, yes. but I'm not that sister. Yes. <laughs> be clear on what your role is going to be. Yeah. Keith and I were just talking about that off mm -hmm. camera, that when you're accept when you're looking for someone, be clear on, on what you mm -hmm. are looking for, yeah. as well as what that person actually is able, willing, and open to do. Yes. And, and one last thing, forgive mm -hmm. me, be willing to allow people to walk away when their time with you is over. Stop trying to hold on to people. Wow. Well, you just, um, yeah, she's going to throw that out there with two minutes left. Sorry. It is what it is. No, I'm not sorry. So, no. It's true. No, no. Because you, you warned everybody. Why are they leaving everybody. me? I've been you... so good to them. I opened doors for them. Yo, ma'am, stop it about It is you. time. Yes. It is time. And the moment that, and you, we talked about this off camera, mm -hmm. when you settle in, when you... Submit and stop trying to grind and grab for mm -hmm. when you settle in. Yeah. It is amazing what will come to you. Yes. Amazing. If they're ready to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Gotta let it go. Let and be go. willing to be able to live with $35 or $35 million. Don't crumble and fall when the money don't look when the money starts to look funny, especially if you're an entrepreneur, especially seeing what's going on in the country right now. Be okay with living with $35 or $35 million. That's a true test of your character. One minute left. I tell you, <laughs> this has been a full conversation. I don't know about you, but I am on 10 and I'm so grateful 
Frandria, because she had to make, she sacrificed her time, her energy, and her strength to be here. It it does not go um, unobserved, and I am so grateful. Thank you so much for being a part of yet another flip side of adversity conversation. We're going to continue our series on leveraging excellence and leaving a legacy next week. Same time, same place. Meet us right here on the flip side. Thank you for tuning into Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.